right, our text tonight is from Joshua 24. Let's just dive in. I'll give you, that will give you a little bit of an intro to Joshua 24. Now, you know, as we know, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and uh, it's summer. And so summer affords me a little bit, a little flexibility, just to kind of romp around. And one of the things I like to do when I'm not preaching through a book is I like to grab something that like the Holy Spirit's been in. I mean, have you ever had that where, you, where a passage of the Bible just jumps at you? Like some part, part of the Bible just jumps out and it hits your heart in a deep way and you know it, you, you resonate with it and you seem like it pops. Well, I never get a chance to preach on those texts unless I take a break. And, when I'm, and so these come across them, I come across them in my Bible study. And this, is, this is one tonight, Joshua 24. One of the reasons I want to talk about this text is because, is there a twitching, is a scratchy, is that the, what is that? Um, the reason I want to talk about this is because I was always, I was reading it, I realized I had misread it. I, all right, when we, when we, when I, I'm about to read this text, okay, and there's going to be a lot of words, a lot of people you don't even recognize, Amorites, Hittites, Gigashites, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but, but there's a ton of different names you're not going to recognize. But this is, but we're at this historical moment. Actually, um, we don't have a, you know, we have a parallel in our modern world. You know, every four years we have a, we have a president and he'll, he'll, he'll do an oath, an oath, an oath ceremony like that, where you've ratified. Well, the ancients did the same sort of thing, but what they would do is they would, they would ratify a covenant and an agreement together. And, the, and so some lord or king or, or God, in this case, he makes a covenant with his people. And they have to obey. And if they don't obey, there are consequences and things go bad. Well, Joshua has been leading the people of God. And we're at one of these covenantal inflection points. This is historically big. The people of God have conquered the promised land. Now, some of these stories you won't know anything about, but you'll still be able to understand the principles that we talk about tonight. So let's jump in. This is story now, Gus. If this is Joshua, then we're at least 15 to 1600 years BC, which means this is over 3,500 years ago. Isn't that wild? Let's read about it right now. So the person speaking is Joshua, and he is talking to all the assembled multitudes of the people of God. And we are joining him in the middle of a sentence. And he's recounting the history, all of these covenantal moments have a history, and there's always a history mentioned. All right, let's do it. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, by which, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwelt in them and you, and you dwell in them, you live in them and you eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, this is, this is Joshua speaking. Now he's speaking for God. He's God's oracle. Now listen. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now this is a, this is an oath, this is a big, big oath happening here. So the people respond. The people answered. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us, us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in all the way that we went and among all the peoples among whom we passed. And the Lord drove, us, drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in this land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, now, now time out. It makes it sound like the whole group said that with one voice. That's obviously not what happened, right? These are a bunch of different things that were said. A whole bunch of people were talking. A whole bunch of, uh, you can imagine, this is, people are talking. They're engaging with Joshua. Now listen how Joshua responds to everything these people said. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. For he is holy. He's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Well, put away the foreign idols among you, he said, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, whom, whom we, we will serve, and his voice, we will obey. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, give us Help us understand grace. Help us understand Jesus. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are so many. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so the reason, I, the reason this could kind of jump out at me, it, how many of you recognize this? How many of you have heard this text before? Uh, you got one hand. How many of you have heard this text somewhere? And usually, I think you probably heard, I'm going to guess, you may have heard this, is, Choose this day whom you will serve. You, I, that, that is a classic. That's like one of the majestic lines of the Bible, y'all. This has been a meme. If you, if you grew up in like southern evangelicalism, you would have heard this kind of language. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's almost like, you know, gosh, it kinda, I'm kind of warming up. I, I feel like I just got to keep practicing. Choose this day. You know, like kind, of, kind of authoritative, isn't it? But I, I had heard this text again and again. Maybe, maybe for some of you, this is brand new. But I have heard this text again and again. And I, and I realized I didn't understand it. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up right now, right here, right in front of you, and even to embarrass myself professionally, is because, look, it doesn't do you any good to act like you understand things if you don't. 
Like I've acted like I've understood things, but I don't. <laughs> and I don't, I don't grow. I can't grow. You can't learn anything. And, and, and I, the reason I start right here is I just, I want you to join me. Let's all join together in saying, God, would you show us what your words mean? Because we can really misunderstand it. It's, it we're, we're ripe for misunderstanding. Because we tend to, we tend to see things the way we want to see them or in ways that are good for us or reflect well on us. There's all sorts of things, right? We need the Holy Spirit. Ooh, we're going to need him today. We're going to need the Holy Spirit today. Big time. Because we're going to go someplace in this text that I don't even know how to get there. I'm going to try to teach something tonight that I don't know how to teach. Because it's in the Bible. So let, well, let God teach it. All right, so the first point, the first kind of place we want to go here is to let, take a look at that at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the message of grace. Did you guys see it? You guys, you guys when, when we go back in the Old Testament, we, sometimes we can feel like we're far away from Jesus. You know, if you're far away from the story of love and grace, of this God's rich, you know, grace, the, God, the idea that God loves sinners, you know? And we can feel like when we're in the Old Testament that the story that God loves sinners can sound hollow or hard to hear. Hard to hear. I didn't hear it at first. Oh, but it's here. The clue begins, the clue begins in, in the text, and you always want to look for the text to say to teach you things, especially the Old Testament, when we're when we're learning how to exegete it and understand it. But take a look here in that one of the clues here is in verse 19. Take a look at verse 19, it's the first hint that something different in the text. The text, the Bible is trying to a story is coming out of it about Jesus and his love. Okay? Now, to tell that story, some things have to get laid down, right? And one of the things that has to be established is you can't do it. Right? Like, one of the fundamental ideas of you coming to God is that you can't come to God. Right? The only way you can... If you want to understand what's going on here tonight, you have to understand, first of all, that you can't come to God on your own. You can't. And Joshua knows this. <laughs> all right. You know what's funny about this text, really? Read Joshua 1. Joshua's had these conversations with these people before. He's talked to the people of God. In fact, he watched how they were with Moses. And it's kind of funny. When we're reading, did you guys notice that Joshua does not seem to believe them, that they want to serve God? Did you, did you all notice that? That Joshua does not seem to believe that they really want to love God. It's funny. If you go back to the first chapter of the book, Joshua doesn't ask any questions when the people are like, we're going to go serve God. Well, they're gonna, he, he's marshalling them together to go into the land. Remember that? And he, he speaks to the people there. But he doesn't, he's not as critical. He's not as cynical. Maybe, maybe he's not as unsure. He's not as, but by, by, you get to the end of Joshua. He's looking these guys in the eye. He's looking a guy like you right in the eye, Corey. He's going, and Corey, the, he's saying to me, I'm Joshua, you're, you're some guy, some Jew in the, in the, in the people of God. And you're saying, yay, I want to serve God. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. I don't trust this anymore. Now, what's happening in Joshua right there where he says that? It's a whisper. Somebody has to save us. You hear it? You see, it's a whisper. Joshua knows it. Joshua knows these people are done. They will come under judgment. He's seen it. He knows what they're going to do. They're going to complain. They're going to run. They're, going to, they're syncretists. They're going, to, they're going to pervert themselves. They're going to run after other gods. They're going to commit adultery. They're going to do everything. 
They're going to go nuts. He, he's seen it already. <laughs> right there. Right there. Joshua already knows the gig's up. Something else has to happen here. First clue. First hint. First little promise that somebody like Jesus would have to come. It gets better. It gets even better. You know, it's funny. I think that I needed the Holy Spirit to do this. And I think you're going to need it too. Did you see the grace exploding in this text? Did you see it? Look at it with me. Look, look right here. <laughs> I, I missed it too. Look in verse 12 and 13. <laughs> it's just, you know, you know what this is saying? Look at verse 12. What does it say? I sent a hornet. I beat those kings. I beat them. Not you. They went out there and held the swords and the bows, didn't they? they the, the people of Israel went to war with swords and bows, didn't they? But what's God saying? I was the one. You have a victorious grace. It gets better. You won, and then you didn't even have to build your vacation home. You didn't even have to build that place you always dreamed of. You didn't have to build that mansion. You didn't even have to build the shed. Because it was already built for you. Not only is it victorious grace, it's a providing abundant grace. Oh, it gets better. What's the third point? Not only did I win for you, not only have I provided a place for you to live that you didn't even build, I also feed you from plants you didn't even plant. A victorious, abundant, Equipping grace. God loves sinners. That's what each one of those things says, doesn't it? These people are ruinous people. These are not good people. We are not good people. <laughs> this is not a, these people have fornicated and, and corrupted and betrayed God over and over again. They are inheritors of a victorious, providing abundant equipping grace don't you see that i i see jesus all over this <laughs> i see all the promise that god would love us and he would love sinners he would love people who didn't love him back and he loves so freely and fully and abundantly and, and openly what a god you see uh, these ancient people were being shown jesus in all these things and a grace beyond imagination <laughs> It's all there. You know, it's funny as I'm reading it, I'm like, I realize, how do, you, how do we, I want you to be able to see these things all the time like I see them, but a lot of this is just, we need God to help train us. So per pattern recognition, a lot of us, we, we have problems seeing grace around us because we haven't let God train us. Well, let God train, ask God, ask God to develop in you a pattern recognition. Um, how many of you like to play chess? Anybody like to play chess? I, I enjoy playing chess, but... Um, well, you play against a grandmaster, a grandmaster in my church in Atlanta. It's not fun. I mean, he just demolishes me every time. It's demolished me every time. Just demolish. And you know, as you're talking to a guy like that, you're thinking, oh, he must see like 15 moves ahead. And he must be able to calculate. And no. Grandmasters only see three moves ahead. You know that? Grandmasters only see three moves ahead. They recognize the patterns on the board. They see, that, they see that bishop there and the line and the knight, they, re they realize right away, oh, I know what comes out of that. That's what you and I need to learn how to do. 
Uh, let me give you an example uh, from my life recently. I, it's kind of a shame. I, 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 I hate seeing these things out loud when I admit them, but I, I, I kind of bald-faced lied about something to somebody. And I, because I was embarrassed, I was embarrassed about something and I told a lie. I just told them, didn't tell them the truth. It was many years ago. Because it was, I, I didn't want to look stupid. And um, <laughs> I was really embarrassed about it later. Because I lied about how much money I had raised. I wanted this guy to be impressed. Do you know how much money I wound up raising? Instead of raising, I, 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 I'd only had 30000 come in. I lied to him and told him I had 300000 I went to my elders and told them I'd lied. I'd, I'd come out and lied like this. Because I realized what I'd done, it was sinful. God gave us over three million after that. Within, 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 within a month or two. Within a month or two of that. And I have this moment where I'm like, well, wait a second, I'm a sinner. I, I keep failing. I keep messing up. I'm the one you don't give the money to, right? I'm the one you go, oh, you know what, Chris, you had your shot. And Honestly, I need honest men to preach the gospel, not men who, who cave the minute they, they feel scared or, or, or embarrassed. That's not what God did. What did he do? He turned around and blessed me ten times more than I had lied about. That's not... He shouldn't have done that, should he? It's the same God, isn't it? Do you hear it? You know what I see in this book, in this story in, in Joshua? unchanging grace <laughs> i mean this grace has been victorious in my life and in the churches i have led and in the kingdom all oh, praise him isn't it wonderful that it's the same jesus it's the same god it's the same love it's the same grace and he was tender with me and my lies he was tender with the disciples and their half-hearted faith and he's tender with these people who are going to betray him What a God of love. All right, so what do we do with this grace? Now, this is where, the, this is where it gets interesting to me. This is where I want, to, I want you to call your attention to my misreading of the text. Take a look at verse, I think it's in verse 14. Let me, let me see what verse it is. Yeah, look in verse 14. This is where I was really stunned by the way Joshua responds. So Joshua says, he describes this grace in verses 11 through 13, right? What is the response to grace he tells them they should have? Now, therefore, if you have known the grace of God, Gina, now, therefore, if you've known the grace of God, Carol, Jack, any of you, if you've known the grace of God, fear the Lord and serve him sincerely and faithfully. Put away your foreign gods. Get rid of all the idols and serve the Lord. That's gorgeous. Plain and simple. Now, I shared this with you, Alex. I think I shared it with you, Corey, when I, when I was, realized I had misread the text. It's, um, keep reading. Look what it says here. In verse 15, he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day. Notice this. When are you supposed to make the choice? And what kind of choice is it in the text? When are you supposed to make the choice, and what kind of choice is it? You're supposed to make the choice, if you don't want God, then go out and make choices for what kind of idol you 
Because if you want to be a chooser, if you want to be a person who makes up your world, who chooses what you want to do, who decides and weighs God in the balance, you're not allowed to do that. You get that? Joshua's not telling them, choose between God and idols. He's not saying that. He's saying if you are insane enough to reject the grace of God, then you better pick an idol. You better pick them fast. Because that's what you want, isn't it? All right, guys, I'm in awe of this. You get what this is teaching? Um, in Galatians, it's written that for freedom, Christ set us free. Now, what is freedom? Is it to be able to choose between A and B? Is it to choose the left? I choose to move to the right? I'm so free. Look at me. I can be free all day. I can choose right and left. I can, I can choose left twice. Look at that. Is that what makes me free? Being able to choose? Now, it's funny. Biblical freedom, though, now, the way biblical freedom is described, God is described as free, is in being what you were created to be. That's freedom. Now, God's not an American. I don't know if you knew this or not. God isn't, God's not a citizen of America. He doesn't share our values. He doesn't actually have any... I don't believe that God believes in democracy necessarily. I don't know if he does or not. I don't know if he likes it or not. He didn't ordain democracy. He ordained a kingdom. King. So I don't know what kind of government God likes or prefers. But he does not believe that your choices will make you free. Because they don't. All of your choices and all of my choices are darkness again and again. I need God to choose. I need him to choose me. I need him to choose for me. And I need him to choose in me. Praise him. You know what I see here? And I guess this is what I'm eager to put in front of you. God is so majestic. He is so majestic. Joshua would not dare to put a choice of God and an idol next to each other because they're not the same. They're not, that's not a choice. God, doesn't get, God, God says to you, he doesn't give you a choice, Gian. He says, fall down before me and serve me, right? He doesn't give you a choice. He's God. If you want to be a chooser, a person who decides your own destiny, then you can't know this God. That's what the text is saying. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm in front of a God that I don't know I've ever heard preach or I've ever understood in my Bible. Like, I, this God is so different than the God we make up in this modern world, isn't it? Like the God we think of in the modernity. It's so different than, like, the evangelical God. The God of the Bible is amazing. <laughs> He's awe-inspiring. He's terrifying. He is incredible. He is majestic. He is unsurpassed. He is victorious in grace over death itself. Praise him. Praise him. I want to tease this out, and I want to revive a principle that's involved here in this text now. And I think, will you pray for me that I can follow this principle? So, I believe that you can't come to God and say, tell me what your will is, and when I know what it is, I'll figure out whether I want to do it or not. 
That is forbidden. It's, a, it's an extension of the same principle. A lot of us may not have, a lot of us have a, pro, have a different way we approach God. We, we get that he's God, but this is what we do to him. We go, we're like, well, I'm not sure what, you, what your standard is about my sexuality or let's say about my mouth or something like that. And, be, and, and so let me find out what your standards are so I can figure out if I want to do those things or not, or if I can, or if I choose to. That kind of obedience is not a worshipful heart of faith. Not at all. We are not permitted to come to God and go, well, let me figure out what the cost is here, and if the cost is something I'm willing to pay, I'll be obedient. If I like this obedience, I'll walk in it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to walk in it. You will never draw closer to holiness or to our Father if you keep playing games like that. How do I know that? Ask me how I know that. I know from personal experience. You know, it's God in his majesty. It's, it's here in this text, and it's great majesty before these people. Joshua gets it. Joshua gets that these people are playing games. These people don't really know him. They are, they're trying to negotiate. Tell me, tell me, tell me, my dear brothers and sisters, how does Jesus, our dearest Savior, the kind, gentle Lamb of God, how does the kind Savior regard people who set up a market in front of God? Hey, five dollars, five dollars, five, five dollars. Hey, God, hey, God, I got, a, I, got, I got a bargain for you here. What does Jesus think of tables set up in the temple to, to negotiate with him? And he flips them. You know, I, I think about how often in this generation especially, we dare to set up a table in front of God and ask him to bargain with us. See if we... Maybe, maybe we'll give him obedience if he's worth it, if it's worth it. You know, I, heaven forgive us. But all you know, I want to encourage you to do, though, is not reject grace and not resist it anymore. Because this text is going to kill us even more. Let's, let's just pour open just one more piece of this text and see its riches. Um, I picture this, y'all. I picture this. Um, you've all heard, everyone in this room, except for Carmen, because she just met me. You've heard me ask this question. If you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Maybe Carol and Carol have heard that one. If you were to stand before God, he were to say to you, Gina, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say to God if he were to say to you, why should I let you into my glory? And I've been asking that question since I was a young preteen. I watched my dad ask it. Because it susses out people's confidence. It susses out their true spiritual confidence. But I picture this, okay? I picture this crowd. The Joshua crowd right here. I picture them. Because you know, someday all those folks that are in this story, you're going to be rubbing shoulders. You and me, we're all going to be rubbing shoulders with all these folks. You know that. We're all going to be jostling around, stepping on each other, stepping on the camera before the judgment seat of Almighty God. Yeah. We're jostling around. Going. And now some people, he's going to, see, he's going to ask questions and, and people are going to be judged, Right? 
And people are going to claim things. And Jesus uses this image, and I picture these people claiming things. We made good resolutions. Can you hear him say that? Well, I say I let you into my heaven, he says to that crowd. Well, they say, we made a good resolution. Didn't you just hear it? I mean, we really put our net, we signed a lot. We're ready to really try for God. Doesn't that mean something? Doesn't that give us some points? We mean well. Now, it's funny that those kind of things, like, what is the road to hell paved with? And you know, we all know these kind of things. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Every flagstone is a good intention, right? People think they're doing good things when they're on the way to judgment. And I get a picture. I can picture that question. And, and I'm saying to Jesus, hey, crying out in fear, wait a second, we resolved. We made a real resolution to be good. You know what Jesus will say, don't you? You have to go away. I don't know you. I picture him saying, well, wait a second. I picture him saying that we said the right words. We said the right things. We, 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 we followed the script. Did you notice the words that they said, by the way? These are holy rollers. Listen to the words they're saying. Um, you brought us out our fathers up out of Egypt in a house of slavery. They're quoting Deuteronomy, Exodus 20 there. They're quoting the Ten Commandments. These are very religious words here. And there are going to be people in the throne before the throne of God who are going to say, we got the words right, didn't we? What is, God going to, what is Jesus going to say to them? Go away. I don't know you. They got the words right, y'all. They resolved to be better. What's the third thing they do? They included God. I mean, come on, they include. I, wait a second. Wait a second. You can picture them before the throne of God. Why should I let you into heaven? Well, we included you. In our lives, we included you. Why are you mad at us, God? We included you. Did you get the point here? Who are we to fit God into our lives? when he was supposed to be the center of ours. <laughs> right? And, I, and you see, you get the sense that, oh my goodness, you get the sense of their fallenness, of, their, of why Joshua's frustrated, of why he's reluctant, of why he doesn't believe in this anymore, because he knows. He has seen the fruit. He knows the phoniness. He knows the church, doesn't he? Yeah, like we all know it. No, no. It hurts. Hurts to see it, hurts to admit it, hurts to know it, hurts to watch it play down this generation, right? Because it's the same thing, isn't it? We said the right, people think they're saying the right words or they're doing the right things or these same things. Resolving to be good people. Or somehow, Jesus is just all right with me. You know, it's funny. Even the, those three things that I just described there, we do them in smaller measures, don't we? When we really try extra hard for Jesus and we don't rest in him. We don't trust in his grace, and we're, we're too busy always trying to perform for him or for others. And, and we, and, and, or we get into mechanical words, and we think, I said the words, why didn't God answer? I said the words, why? Well, it wasn't about saying mechanical formulas, was it? You know, a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago, Lindsay noticed that I was talking when I was doing the communion table, that I said, um, this is the body of Christ broken for you. I said something like that, broken for you. 
And she said, that's actually not in the words of institution. It says, this is body, body, God's body uh, given for you, not broken. Because remember, his bones were not broken. Not one of them was broken. So she asked me, why do you say it that way? And I said to Lindsay, thank you for mentioning it. I'm going to change it. Because you're right. I don't want to confuse anybody. That's, I want to change the words of our communion service. I never told anybody I was doing it. I think I may have mentioned it at the time, something. I wasn't worried that the previous 25 years I had, that maybe I'd screwed communion up, was I? Unfortunately for Father Arango in Phoenix, uh, the Roman, the Roman uh, oversight in the Roman church told him that his uh, baptismal vows were said incorrectly for years, and therefore every baptism he had done, thousands of baptisms over the years, were all nullified. Catholic Church officially said that because he, he said, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. Right? Praise God, we're free of mechanical words because we have the person of Jesus. You see, we have personal knowledge of him. He has, he has a personal love and a victory of grace that he's delivering personal love to us. It's, it's nothing like that mechanical view, right? Is it? It's nothing like that. We said the right words. What does that mean? Not to say the right words. I know him. I know my father. I know my savior, right? It's not about scripts. And then finally, a final one, just to being at rest in grace, making him the center. I began with that, pointing out how I didn't understand the Bible text. You see the misreading that I had made of the text? I misread the text. It wasn't I didn't really understand that this text wasn't talking about choosing God or choosing idols. It was talking about the grandeur of the grace of the Almighty Father. And it's, if you, you could know that, or you have nothing. That's, that's what the text is teaching. Like, that's what it's really showing, right? It's what's revealing. And it's, it's beckoning Jesus to us. So I began with, a, you know, um, I, I can't believe I'm, I, you think you know your Bibles, and the reason I begin with that is because um, don't get into a place I get into where I'm not, te- where I'm not teachable. You know what I mean? Don't, don't do that to yourself. You know, I'm, I'm, supposed to be, I'm supposed to know more than all y'all about the Bible or whatever, you know? And I get into these places where I'm not teachable anymore. It's very dangerous. And, and I, 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 I'm very eager to repent of that in my heart. This week is really eye-opening. When I see these things and I realize I, don't understand, I didn't understand something, I'm like, wow. And so um, I want to encourage you, though. Because, you know, if I, if I struggle with this, so will you, right? I mean, you have the same. And so I want you, to, I want you with me to, to cry out to God, to constantly show us his words and not be arrogant to think we understand the Bible all the time. It really is amazing how much we can not understand. And it also can amaze me in a text like this. Did you notice that subtle misunderstanding that subtle change of how that text is really read gives so much glory to God. He puts him on the throne, doesn't it? And that's what I want to do. And um, I want to encourage you in that. Because I, want the Holy, I think the Holy Spirit could be doing that for all of us in our Bible reading all the time. And that'd be a sweet thing for him to do. Let's pray. Oh, Father. I wish I understood your grace. I wish I understood. I wish I could grasp it, grasp it in some deep way. Because it always seems like such a riddle to me. How could you love? How could you love these people? 
And then I realized, how can you love me? Or how can you love us? Honor, let us, would you whisper to us and speak to us words of comfort about your victories for us, your provision for us, your equipping. Father, teach us how to, how to, how to lay hold of your grace. Teach us how to, how, to, how, to, how to surrender to you, to stop playing games with you, to stop feeling like we can somehow negotiate with you somehow. Father, we claim the blood of Jesus. That's our, that's our only negotiating tool, is, is, is the blood of your son, the cross. Would you forgive us for our sin? Wash us. I mean, Joshua is right. You're holy. We can't do these things. Father, we ask for you to pour out the Holy Spirit in this room and all of us and a new knowledge of grace would spring up in us. A new knowledge, a new joy in grace would spring out of us because you, because you taught us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.